The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash live forward. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, Xena Radio, and of course, Simul Radio and Simul TV. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, it's very simple Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest to this hour, X-Zone Nation, is Larry Holcomb. And um, a little bit about Larry. His introduction to the world of ufology came in the late 1950s after reading Major Donald Kehoe's Flying Saucers Are Real and Flying Saucers from Outer Space. Uh, that were found in his high school library. These books started a 50-plus year study and avocation into mainstream research of the most important story in history of mankind. Joining me now is Larry Holcomb. And Larry, welcome to the Exxon. Well, delighted to be here, Rob. I hope you can uh, hear me all right. Uh, it sounds like you're right next door to me in the next studio, my friend. Wonderful. Larry, um... Tell me more about your interest in UFOs. Well, as you stated, it's, my interest started in uh, 1960 mm-hmm. after reading a couple of uh, Donald Kehoe's books, Flying Saucers from Outer Space and uh, Flying Saucers are Real, I believe. I've got those titles correct. Um, and uh, his, his passion... Uh, for the subject, uh, just uh, drew me into it. Mm-hmm. There were other books written by people in that time, same time frame. Uh, George Adamski is one that I consider to be a, uh, a kook, mm-hmm. although Adamski has uh, gained some degree of uh, respectability in later years, but uh, I, I still uh, I still hold him in the... Uh, fringe areas, uh, area of uh, ufology or flying saucers, as I like to call them. Let, let me ask you this then, um, Larry. Why do you give credibility to Kehoe and not Adamski? Well, Kehoe was a respected Marine Corps aviator. 
Uh, he was a major, he retired a major. Um, that's not any great uh, rank, but in those days, between the uh, between the world wars, there were very uh, promotions were were slight. And uh, uh, Kehoe had a great deal of friends within the Pentagon that respected him, and he respected them highly. Um, and Kehoe was originally a skeptic of the this uh, flying saucer issue. Mm -hmm. And only got into it because Ken W. Purdy, the uh, uh, editor of True Magazine, brought him to New York and told him he wanted him to do research on flying saucers and write an article on it. And Kehoe wanted nothing to do with it. He didn't like it, but uh, Purdy knew that he had a great deal of, uh, of inside uh, friends and information within the Pentagon, and he convinced him to do it. And within less than a year, Kehoe became turned from a skeptic, a true skeptic, to a true believer. And finally, a believer that he was dealing with a subject that involved extraterrestrial craft. Well, didn't Ademski claim to have personal contact with the Venusians? Yes, I think he even, I can't remember his books uh, mm -hmm. uh, all that well. It's been a long time ago. Sure. Uh, but I think that he at one time claimed that he even uh, was taken on a flight to Venus. I may be wrong about yeah. that, but he, he certainly had, he certainly claimed to have contact with Venusians, yes. Tell me what you call Doug Locke's story. The Doug Locke story, when I first um, uh, became interested in this subject, when I was mm -hmm. a high school junior, I had met this fellow, Doug Locke, and it's a long story, but I'll keep it as brief as I can. Okay. He was a, he was a young man, 15 years my senior. Mm -hmm. He was in his early 30s, and he opened up a new uh, Sunoco service station in the little village of Sandstone, Virginia, that I lived in, which is a suburb of Richmond, Virginia, right at now Richmond International Airport. And through conversations with him, we became pretty good friends. And he told me that he had been in the Air Force. He was stationed at Biggs Air Force Base, and he had been a judo instructor. How that happened, it's a long story, but it involved Curtis LeMay deciding that he wanted a judo program for pilots to be taught judo, and he wanted 24 judo instructors, and he turned it over to his subordinate, General Thomas Power. Uh, Doug was selected to be one of the 24 people to be sent to uh, the Kodian Institute in Japan to be taught by a world-famous judo instructor, Japanese judo instructor. He came back, and I had read these books, but Doug was really an old country boy from Southside, Virginia. Grew up on a, a tobacco farm in Southside, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Uh, became electrician after high school, then went into the Air Force. And I had this interest in UFOs or flying saucers, as I like to call them. And but I I was afraid to bring it up to Doug because I thought he'd say, oh, you silly kid, you believe in that junk. Well, I did. I finally steeled myself and, and brought it up to him. And I just was ready to be lambasted and he looked at me and he said Larry it's all true now Rob keep in mind and this is important for you folks out there listening keep in mind this was 1960 
1980 or 81 when Roswell's story brought, broke, but 1960. And he told me that he trained pilots from Roswell. He trained one bomber pilot that told him of flying crash saucer debris from Roswell to Wright Field, mm-hmm. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Right. Now, Doug didn't have any way. He was just an airman teaching judo, and he was re- he was telling me stories these, these pilots had told him. Obviously, the pilots were under some level of security or clearance, uh, clearance back then. I don't know what it might have been back then, but of some level. But they felt close enough to their judo instructor to tell him these stories off the record. Doug told me, and there were many pilots that chased these saucers that told him they scared the living hell out of them, that these things did things that they couldn't believe. And this was all over New Mexico, which, of course, we were testing atomic bombs. We were flying, firing B-2 rockets. So what you have is a man in 1960 that mm-hmm. told me a story that absolutely overlaps the story that broke through Stratton Friedman and, and uh, uh, several others, uh, Don Schmidt, uh, in 1980, the books that were written in 1980, uh, and so the story broke then. I knew about it 20 years before then. I'd never heard of Roswell, didn't know what Roswell was, what, didn't know where it was. I mean, I knew it was in New Mexico, but I'd never heard of it before. So I knew in 1960, a story that was the same story that broke, that this airman couldn't have known the story that was going to break in, in 1980. So there's only one, there's only one fly in the ointment. Either it is absolutely true, and this is a major backup to okay. the Roswell story, or, or I personally have made it up myself, and I assure you, I, I didn't. Actually, there is one more possibility, and we'll talk about that when we come back from this commercial break. Exonation, I guess, this hour is Larry Holcomb. His website is www.larryholcomb.com. And this is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we're coming to you in our 29th year from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
Larry Holcomb is my guest to this hour. So nation, www.larryholcomb.com. And you know, Larry, there was, in my opinion, one more explanation. Here you've got a bunch of aircraft pilots who may have witnessed something. They didn't know what they had witnessed or been part of going back to 1947. Pilots get together. Pilots exchange stories. I'm not saying that the pilot did not tell you the story and you had your first uh, insight into the Roswell incident going back to 1947 because Stanton Friedman and the other boys hadn't written their books yet. So I think that third possibility also plays a major part in the po- in the probable story that you gave us before. What's that? Well, that I, I just said it. You know, I, I'll repeat myself. You've got, you've got a pilot who may have been in Roswell, New Mexico, or he may have heard a story about something that may have happened in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, and he related it to you. It doesn't mean that it really did happen. It, didn't mean, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But there is more than two possibilities as to the existence of the story. Well, you've got pilots uh, uh, from Roswell, a number of pilots mm-hmm. from Roswell. I've often wondered if the bomber pilots that told him about flying crash debris mm-hmm. uh, to right field was Pappy Henderson. Uh, but he had fighter pilots mm-hmm. that chased these things. Um, and so as he told me, as best I can recall, mm-hmm. Rob, and you know, this is a long time ago. Sure. In fact, I had forgotten where I heard, knew about Roswell. I went back and reread uh, the uh, Kehoe's books to see if he talked about Roswell. Nobody talked about Roswell back then. Mm-hmm. It wasn't heard of. Nobody knew anything about Roswell until the story broke in 1980. But here this man is telling me that he had a number of pilots that told him not about one instance, mm-hmm. but about a number of instances and primarily pilots that flew out of Roswell, that was their home base, and other bases close by, including Biggs Air Force Base, there in uh, El Paso, Fort Bliss, uh, that told him the same story, and they apparently were not related. So mm-hmm. I think that it's, uh, I, I think it's a pretty solid piece of circumstantial evidence. But once again, it's circumstantial because there is no evidence to support any claim whatsoever that a UFO really did crash in Roswell. Something happened. We'll all agree to that. But whether or not it was, you know, these little three aliens and a crashed UFO on the Brazil farm, that that has still yet to be, you know, um, well, I, I certainly I agree with you. Yeah. But I've studied it long enough and spent enough time with it that I believe mm-hmm. that the mountain of circumstantial evidence indicates to me that that's, that's the story. Uh, there have been too many lies that have been told. Mm-hmm. The Air Force has told too many lies. The witnesses have told lies. The apparent witnesses have told lies. You know, not everything that goes wrong in the world is the government's fault. I think the people have to bear some of the burden themselves. Yes, but when you have close to 200 witnesses uh, now, I Mm -hmm. think uh, that's uh, 
that says a great deal uh, about the accuracy of this circumstantial evidence. And I, I don't buy into all of it, all of the stories. Mm-hmm. Believe me, not in, not anyway. Sure. But I think that there are some very, very legitimate people. And I know that there's also been some researchers in Roswell that have shaded the truth and done things that I'm not <clears throat> very happy with. Well, it just uh, isn't the I'm Roswell. not going to mention names. It certainly wasn't Stanton Friedman. Uh, I've known Stan for a long time, and, and he's the straightest arrow I've. Wow. Uh, you know. Yeah. Okay, but when it comes to the Roswell case, everybody gleams over the part that Jesse Marcel is the biggest case against Roswell. His credibility as a, as a base intelligence officer went out the window, and anything that has to do with the Roswell case from the time Jesse Marcel picked up the stuff at Bra- Mark Brazel's house, and on the way back to the base, what does he do? Oh, he decides to go home and let his wife and ch- uh, you know son play with evidence. You know, I was a police officer for a number of years, and one thing I would never do is bring evidence home to let my kids play with it. Because as soon as you do that, the chain of evidence custody is shot. That case is dead. And yet, nobody talks about how Jesse Marcel screwed up. Well, that's uh, that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then... Uh, uh, why did Colonel Blanchard, mm-hmm. the base commander, let uh, Walter Hart, the public information officer, issue a statement to the press maybe and it the was media the... that they had a flying disc? Well, maybe the information came from the intelligence officer who screwed up. Listen, one, once Blanchard, again... Blanchard saw the evidence. He held it in his hand. But he didn't know what he was holding. But if he was holding something that was that was highly unusual, something he had never seen before. Well, that doesn't mean that just because Blanchard didn't know what it was, that it was from out of this world. But it's strange that he would say that it was. Hey. Oh, well, excuse me. He didn't say that it was. He said they'd recovered a flying disc. Right. Now, we also know for a fact that after World War II, a number of German scientists were brought over to the United States. And we also know for a fact that the Germans were working on aircraft that looked like flying saucers. Is it possible that in the testing area of New Mexico that this research was being continued? You, uh, you touch on a point that's, uh, that's really uh, a, something that uh, gets under my skin as far as the hair advanced the Germans were and and what the Germans were doing. There's no question that they were experimenting with some highly advanced uh, technology, aircraft and yeah. material. Okay. But so were we. We well, developed the atomic bomb. But we didn't get the we didn't develop the rockets that took man to the moon. <laughs> if it wasn't for well, Ron Bra- if it wasn't well, for von Braun, the Americans would not have beat the Russians to the moon. In in fact, the Russians beat the Americans to the moon. They just put the first man on the moon, the Americans. You know, so. Uh, 
certainly Von Braun needs a, 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 a great deal of mm -hmm. uh, accolade. Well, what about Einstein? What he did. What but about Einstein? We also had our own good scientists. Einstein as, wasn't as a matter America. of fact. Oh, wait a second. Hold on yeah. here. Hold on here. Hold on here. Albert Einstein wasn't a born American. And yet he was the one who came up with the formula for fusion. Well, uh, I can't argue with you on that, but uh -huh. uh, uh, I, I think that I think that uh, uh, we had some awfully fine scientists ourselves. Okay, so uh, the British it's... did. The mm -hmm. British had a better jet engine than the Germans did. The Germans just put it into operation, and the British—I uh, won't say too dumb—but they they had a very the Whittle uh, jet engine mm -hmm. was a far better engine than the Germans had developed. You know, there's an old saying that the man who invented the paperclip made a little bit of money. The man. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash live forward who decided to put those little ridges in the in the paper clip made millions <laughs> that's a, that's interesting mm -hmm. i'm not saying listen i don't want to bring politics into this i'm just saying that that the people in roswell were not totally uh, in the know of what the other divisions of the united states air force army marines and navy were up to we know that everything is compartmentalized when it comes to government projects. So I believe that whatever did happen in Roswell, something did happen there. I'll, I, I won't deny that. But when it comes to the theory that it was a flying saucer from another planet with three little aliens, I have a problem with that because there is no evidence. There's circumstantial evidence but all that circumstantial evidence went out the window the second that Jesse Marcel deviated from his from driving from the Brazil farm to the base because as soon as he went to his house took the evidence from his vehicle of an official US vehicle into the house and let his son and wife touch it or even see it that case is over Jesse Marcel well, Jesse Marcel killed the Roswell case. Well, I will acknowledge that you certainly have your own opinion, mm -hmm. but I think that these were different times. I think that these were, uh, and what may have been done in 1947 certainly would not be done now. But I think that they were different times, and, and, and personally, I could see the man doing that. Well, the man should not have been an Army intelligence officer if he was going to do that. They had the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time. We'll be back at the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
Larry Holcomb is our special guest this hour. Exonation, www.larryholcomb.com. Larry, we were talking about the Roswell case and how it was handled. And you yes. said before we went to the commercial break, there were different times. Things were done differently. And yet, and yet the same laws that were in the 1930s when it came to how, or the 40s, when the FBI went after Al Capone are still on the books today. He, you know, the, the case was built on evidence because of the laws that were in place. So I will agree with you that just, you know, that it was after World War II, things may have been, uh, but once again, I cannot go along with anyone being in any, any profession, especially military, especially intelligence, especially law enforcement, who decides, well, you know, it's just after World War II, uh, this could be a crashed UFO, it could be a, you know, crashed enemy aircraft. I'm going to bring it home and show my wife and kids because I really think that this is substantial. I, I can't buy that. Well, it's, uh, I, I say again, it was a different time, and I think that they uh, looked at things differently. And I, I uh, when you had Blanchard that handled the stuff, uh, Blanchard let Walter Hart put out a press release. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, and keep, mind, keep in mind, and I'm, well, I shouldn't say keep in mind, I'm sure you know this, the 509th group, uh, bond group, was uh, had the, the pick of the litter. Sure. This, this was the best of the best. Right. And so how could Marcel be the uh, chief intelligence officer? He wasn't part if of the, he, he, he wasn't, he, part, he wasn't part of the 509th bomb squad squadron. What do you mean he wasn't part of 509? He was, he was, he was a base intelligence officer. The base intelligence officer, which equates to uh, high-ranking in, in today's world, looking back at the old way, you know, he would be, what, military police intelligence. Because the war was over, right? 1947, yeah. the war was over. Right, right. Could it, you know, this is how I think it might have happened. You know, Marcel gets the stuff, goes to his house, lets his wife and kid play with it for a while, has a cup of tea or a sandwich or whatever he did there gets to the base and says, hey, guys, guess what I think? I think we've got a crashed flying saucer here. Whoa, hey, wait a minute, 509th Bomber Squadron, bunch of great guys, you know, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, Adam, bomb, wow, let's add this to our, to our collection and to our trophies. All right, issue a press release. It's a UFO that crashed. Well, they should issue the I understand that, I understand that, but it could have been based on the information coming from the base intelligence officer. But Blanchard held the material. He, he held saw the material he... himself. And, and, and let me go away. You say that, that Marcel was not part, part of the 509th bomb group. I challenge that. I, ca I can't. You brought up something I've never heard before, and I can't give you documentation right now, but mm -hmm. I will find it because I have a personal friend that was very close to Jesse Marcel Jr., mm -hmm. Walter Hart, and Glenn Dennis yeah. uh, for 20 years. All right, and all right. It, okay, maybe I'm wrong about his position, but big deal. That has nothing to do with anything when it comes to the alleged retrieval of a crashed UFO. Everybody skips over the details when it comes to this case because everybody wants to believe 
That's why there's no physical evidence. Because everybody is so willing to take what is circumstantial evidence, and they're saying, well, you know what? Based on the circumstantial evidence we have, this case could be you know, one in a court of law, which is a bunch of bunk, because it couldn't. But that's another story for another show. They don't look for the physical evidence, because the physical evidence has never turned up over since 1947. Not in... Oh, in, oh you're right. It hasn't turned there up. There has not. But it, there but has, it exists. How do I you believe not, it sincerely exists. You believe, exists. you believe based on circumstantial evidence and and witness alleged witness accounts but you yourself sir have never seen it neither no. has anyone else who has ever written a book or goes out on a speaking tour or appears on any of these reality tv shows where it comes to roswell it's all speculation well, there are a lot of people in prison that have been convicted on circumstantial evidence. But we're not talking about a crime here, sir. We're talking about an alleged UFO crash. We're saying, you know what? The government of America has lied to us. That's what you're do saying. You, Wait, anybody? Do you, any, do you believe that? No, I, I no, I don't believe that. That the government is suppressing any information on Roswell unless it's for a matter of national security, which, in my opinion, goes towards some experimental aircraft or something experimental that they were working on. I don't believe in the UFO hypothesis. I really don't, because there is no evidence. Well, you, uh, you've got uh, a lot of people on your side, that's for sure. And let me say this, mm -hmm. Rob. Sure. I'm a skeptic. You might not believe it, but I'm a skeptic of a great many of the stories that are told uh, by many, many people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I have a hard time accepting individual uh, sightings, for instance, of okay. UFOs without any backup, without right. any radar backup, without any uh, 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 several forms of backup. Right. Um, I, and and uh, but there are some uh, sightings that I think that are completely unexplainable. And, and those are the ones that, uh, uh, that draw my attention and, uh, and I feel comfortable with. You know what? I agree with you. There are maybe that 1% of truly UFOs or unidentified flying objects. Just because they're unidentified doesn't mean that they are from another planet, another dimension, another galaxy, another part of space. It means that the person seeing it cannot identify it. And you mentioned something very interesting a few seconds ago about radar tracks. Were there any radar tracks of a crash or a UFO entering the restricted airspace at, at Roswell, the day of the Roswell crash? Uh, the radar was uh, really in its infancy as far as what they were trying to do. Um, there were three uh, very powerful radar uh, it, uh, establishments mm -hmm. in the New Mexico area, prob to 
protect Sandia Labs, White Sands, and uh, and Los Alamos Labs. White, White Sands wasn't very far from Roswell, was it? Probably a couple of hundred miles. Okay, but what about the civilian radar tracking systems throughout the rest of the state's air traffic control zones? Was there any radar tracking that correlated with <laughs> not, the... in, not in 1947? Do you mean commercial aircraft know, radar wasn't no, used? You, you, to my knowledge, and and I stand corrected mm -hmm. uh, on this, but uh, radar was so was so new, such a military mm -hmm. uh, uh, instrument, right? That there was no. There was no civilian radar tracking of, gotcha. of airliners for say at let, that time. Let me no. ask, let me let me ask you this, Larry. Here you've got the Roswell Air Force Base with the 509th Squadron, the Nuclear Squadron. Would it not make sense that after the attack on Pearl Harbor, that the United States government would have done everything in their power to secure the Roswell site? Well, wouldn't one of the first they things? Would that, do wait, it. A, they, wait a they, sec, they wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Would they have not put a radar installation there? They used it in Hawaii. Why wouldn't they put it in Roswell? Those radars were, were very infantile. They were very uh, unsophisticated. Mm -hmm. We were developing very high, uh, sophisticated new radar systems. Okay. One, let's see, one was at Moriarty. Mm -hmm. Uh, one was at Continental Divide, and one was near Roswell, which created a triangle around White Sands, Sandia, and Los Alamos. These installations were self-contained installations that had their own barracks, their own mess hall, and a very powerful generating uh, station that was generating a tremendous amount of power for these radar but uh, installations it, it, and uh, this was before Dulon. okay okay once again would these radar units why wouldn't these radar units ha not have picked up anything that was over the roswell airspace then if these radar systems were so powerful oh i think they did but yet nobody's brought that up in a book nobody from sure, any sure you know why it's not the, i mean that, yeah, there's been, that could have been looked at. There's many people that have testified that, that these objects were tracked by radar all the time. I'm talking about the, the alleged UFO crash in Roswell. I'm not talking about any other case right now. Because up until, yeah, it, it seems that Roswell is the mecca of ufology. And it's, you know, like I still can't understand why they have Roswell days, why they turn it into a circus, but... I understand the town and the city makes a lot of money. Listen, you and I have got to take our final break. Please stand by, Exxon Nation. We'll Thanks. return on the other side as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with Larry Holcomb. Don't go away.
And welcome back. Larry Holcomb is our guest to this hour, www.larryholcomb.com. All right, let's get away from Roswell because, you know, I'm sure you're tired about talking about it. I know I am. Um, <laughs> That's fine with me. All right. Uh, do you yourself believe in ET visitation? And if so, why? Yeah, I think there's enough evidence uh, uh, to uh, indicate that there probably is uh, extraterrestrial visitation mm -hmm. here and probably has been for some years, maybe even going back biblical times but i don't get into that i'm i'm strictly from the 1940s forward and my my main thrust is what i call flying saucers i don't like the term ufos never have it's it's too all-encompassing and uh i'm so i guess you would say that my research is in nuts and bolts flying saucers i'm not even in that interested in extraterrestrial beings but uh uh, it's it's I'm a nuts and bolts flying saucer guy, and and what kind of nuts and bolt flying saucers do you write about? Uh, well, have you read my book? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, starting uh, with the crash, uh, reported crash of a saucer in in Cape Girardeau. Missouri. Yeah, that's going back to what, 1941? 1941. Mm -hmm. uh, the air raid over Los Angeles in 1942. Mm -hmm. The great uh, Washington merry-go-round in July of 1952. The uh, extraordinary case of Japan Airlines 16... Uh, I don't have it in total, 1682, 16... Up in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these cases that can't be explained, mm -hmm. the uh, uh, missiles that were attacked by some sort of object uh, in, uh, in uh, Maelstrom Air Force Base yeah. uh, that has been discussed at length by a friend of mine, uh, Robert Bob Salas. Yeah who was launch control officer there. Mm -hmm. You don't become a launch control officer of a nuclear missile installation if you're a fool. But let me ask you and, this. As, as, a, as a member of the United States Air Force, aren't these people sworn to secrecy about events that happen? Yes, they are. Then why did he break his oath of secrecy? Because he read about it in a book, uh, and I think it was uh, Timothy Good's book, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the name escapes me right offhand, but his his first book, uh, he read about the Maelstrom event there. Mm -hmm. He had, I believe, an attorney contact the Air Force, right. not mentioning UFOs, but say that saying that they had an event at Maelstrom that he had been sworn to secrecy. Mm -hmm. Was it still a classified matter? He got a letter back or the attorney or whoever it was, got a letter back from the airport, from the government saying, yes, it is still classified, but we will now declassify it because of all of the years that have passed, which the letter from the Air Force relieved uh, uh, Salas of his obligation, and he could talk about it. Does that seem strange to you? No. 
Yeah, something. Let me see if I understand the things right. Something strange, weird, bizarre shuts down a nuclear missile base, and the government says, "Oh, it's all right to talk about it. We can release the information because it happened so long ago." That doesn't make that makes sense to you? Well, that's what happened, and and things are declassified all the time. Again, he never mentioned flying saucers. He just mentioned that the missiles were shut down at Maelstrom and they he got official confirmation from the government. He had signed a non-disclosure agreement. Right. Bob told me for years until he read about this and got this letter, he never even told his wife about it. He never mentioned it. But once he was cleared to discuss it, he discussed it, and he's gone public with it. Oh, I know. I've had him on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you you not believe him? I believe something happened, but I don't believe it had anything to do with UFOs. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that, uh, that there are folks yeah. like yourself that really want hard evidence. And don't you don't you don't you think that the public deserves hard evidence? You know, look what they tried to do to poor Judge Brett Kavanaugh over the last couple of weeks, and it didn't work because there was no hard evidence. Right, you're exactly right. I couldn't agree with yeah. you more. You know, people deserve hard evidence. They don't deserve hearsay. They don't deserve uh, what many ufologists are spinning. They deserve the facts. And until these facts are acquired, I don't care who says what. Unless you can prove it to me, I don't believe it. I want to believe, but I also want the facts. I want the proof. When I was in the police force, we dealt with facts. We dealt with evidence. When I investigate a show, I deal with facts. I deal with evidence. This is well, what this is well, what Rob, there's a great deal of trace evidence out there. Have you seen any evidence? Uh, have you seen evidence, sir? And if so, please I, share it with me. Have I personally seen yes. evidence? Mm -hmm. No. Then why do you believe? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think that these people that are collecting trace evidence are lying. Um, um, I haven't personally been to the site where these craft right. uh, supposedly sat down and they've done soil samples mm -hmm. and and uh, and the reports come back that are extremely strange. Um, uh, but no, I have not myself seen trace, uh, the trace evidence. If we but could... there is a great deal out there. Allegedly. Well, uh, I think that that could be proven. Why hasn't been it? Why hasn't it been proven then? If it already exists, why the? I think it has. It's just people uh, don't don't read about it, don't accept it, or for don't care. Reason I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Is it possible that the UFO community is responsible for dumbing down America when it comes to UFOs? 
No, I think the I think that the United States government is responsible hmm. for dumbing down the population. Oh, now, 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 now. There's no proof of that. Once again, you're starting to sound like uh, a Democrat at the hey. hearings for 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 poor, uh, for poor Judge Kavanaugh. In 1955, mm -hmm. the Patel Memorial Institute did a study of 3,201 ufo cases for project blue book directed at the time by edward rupelt who mm -hmm. was the only one with project blue book that did a job that was worth a damn and the report was not given to the public because they said it was too lengthy and too expensive for the government to to uh, to print to release to the the news media and right. the public. Uh, okay, does the public really need to know? Does the public really care? Does the public need to know? Yeah. That's a question that I can't answer and one that I mull over all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether they need to know or not. If it's something, if this phenomenon is something that's so terrible Perhaps the public doesn't need to know. The public shouldn't know. I don't know. I think about that a great yeah. deal. But what happens if what the government knows has nothing to do with UFOs, but everything to do with national security and countries not friendly to the United States or the uh, democracy in general? By ufologists pushing and pushing and pushing, can you blame the government for d doing whatever they can to to secure the the freedom and the democracy of the United States of America as well as any other country that is friendly to them? Why don't they release the information they have? Why should they? Why shouldn't they? If it's if it's if Oh if so it's let me see there. If it's nothing there, it I'm can be proved. I'm saying that what happens if it's uh, another country, for example, Russia had something to do with it. Do we really want Russia to know that, or let the American public know that Russia or another country, China, Japan, wherever, was caught and that the what happened at Roswell or any of these other sightings, you know, whether it be uh, an experimental aircraft or whatever, do we need to tell the public this? The, uh, the, the public... What I'm saying is mm -hmm. that if the government has information that is not, would not be suitable for the population in general to know, mm -hmm. then I think that probably uh, it sh should be concealed. All right. You and I have to say so long for tonight. Thank you very much, Larry, for coming on the show. I was going to get into the show and ask him why he uses the name Larry when his real name is Irving, but I thought, ah, what the heck, give the guy a break. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center, well, center and station in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. 
The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash live forward.